It's the Ides of November, and you're listening to Trashback Ratio Episode 4, the episode where everyone's angry about Mumblecore, apparently. That's that's what's been going on the last five minutes, but no, uh, I'm Jackson Tyler with Destiny Sturdevant. Hello. Matthew Marco. Hi. And Kyle Turner. Hey there. Hey, how's everyone doing? Why are you angry about Mumblecore? Well, I walked out and I came back. Okay. And everyone I, was angry about Mumblecore. My my stance is that I think Mumblecore as like a separate entity to normal films is a thing that was delivered from like the people who are already established in film to the people coming into film to try to separate things that are low budget and shot in like a different new style. And like it's an exclusionary definition to say these films are not like our films. These are separate and other. And that's why I don't like it as a thing. Huh. Okay. That seems reasonable. Well, no, I was just going to say the reason I don't really think it's a thing is because it apparently is all the same group of people. And to me, that's not very useful as a thing. Like, I don't know. It's it's not necessarily different from what's already come out. Like, as far as... Like, it's not like this French New Wave where it's something so uh, distinctive and... Uh, genre altering that it seems notable i I don't know i'm the wrong person to ask i would um a friend of mine um was one of the people who didn't necessarily coin the term but he spent a lot of time writing about it and he would be a better person to ask um i I don't actually know what mumblecore is like i've seen mumblecore movies but i don't actually know like defining like the concept apart from just people being very low-key and talking Jackson, and generally being young. Mumble- no one can be told what Mumblecore is. <laughs> I have seen you it for myself! And I have okay, no idea! Mumblecore, listen, listen. Mumblecore is a genre of film that depends on naturalistic interpersonal conversations that happen in real spaces, or excuse me, places, not studio sets or sound stages. Telling stories about the lives of characters who are usually single and in their 20s and 30s, and a frequent departure from the clear and familiar narrative structures common in major budget movies designed for mass appeal. Appeal. These movies are often made on relatively very low budgets, uh, below, e.g., below ten million dollars, and sometimes shot in black and white and have a very limited soundtrack. Wait. Here's my question: How is this different than neorealism or cinema verite outside of who's making it? Thank Ooh. you. That entire list of things was just. Is made by the young, poorer directors. Yes, which is why Thank I think you. this is a Independent classist, movies. Like, I don't like yeah. the definition. That's Yeah, because that's a bad definition, because I've seen films under that banner and didn't realize what made them different to other films that were just, like, talky films. And then they keep oh. saying, okay, like... And this is Wikipedia, so... You know, take it with a grain of salt anyway. Uh, it says mm-hmm. that Woody Allen's Manhattan is a predecessor, Stranger Than Paradise, and Before Sunrise are predecessors. And it's like, uh, um, Manhattan was a big budget movie, technically. Where's, the, where's the think piece lining up Dogma 95 movies with Mumblecore? That's what I want to oh, It's been written well, if, right. if you, 10 times over. If you look at the Mumblecore Wikipedia page, it says the influences include Dogma 95, oh, God. DIY then culture, that's already American the... independent film, and digital filmmaking. But it's like they are American independent films that are probably digital. I feel like that's I feel like cheap. cinema criticism f- forgot that Dogma 95 is a joke. 
Yeah, it did. A hundred percent did. When we were taught about it in our like my lectures like two years ago, they were like, "This is a very serious thing of these artists coming." No, in they are taking the piss different... out of like formal film criticism, and no one actually followed the rules when they made them because None they were the taking the piss actually... out of formal film criticism. Right. Like, but all you need to do is take like two seconds of a cursory glance in their direction and actually watch one of their movies to know that. But when it was and talked to us, saying, it was this very serious thing. And I'm not saying these movies are bad or these movies shouldn't be made. I'm just saying the term itself is kind of a weird, nonsensical thing. It's like uh, musical subgenres. Like, indie doesn't really mean anything. Uh, you know? It's just like that. But I bring it up because I watched uh, Ty West's The Sacrament over the weekend. And when I googled it, the first thing uh, in the uh, Wikipedia page called it a mumblegore film. Is that when you go to see uh, An Inconvenient Truth and the sound is low? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, Thanks. (laughs) That was actually one of your better jokes. I liked it. Okay, thank you. I, I rolled my eyes heavily, but that was its intended effect. So. Yeah, it was like an actual joke, almost. Yep. Go on. Oh, oh, it's about these two vice journalists who decide to uh, go to this weird religious commune to find one of their uh, co-workers' sisters who says that she's there and she, uh, you know is getting off drugs and stuff, and he hasn't heard from her in a while, and they end up going down there to this mysterious place. They don't really tell you where it is, but it's either Africa or South America, and they get involved with this cult, they're filming everything, uh, so it's a found footage sort of a thing, and um, it is pretty much the... um, It's very much mirrored after the Jonestown massacre from 1978 uh the uh, some of you might know it uh, they were the ones that drank the cyanide laced kool-aid um but yeah i really liked it it just uh it, it sort of criticizes that sort of immersive journalism that vice is known for while a little a little creepy i like a good cult movie um vice is hilarious Vice is, uh, it's weird. It's a weird thing because. This sounds they, like a they have film a lot of version problems. of. Oh, sorry? It sounds like a film version of the Vice's hip Twitter account. Well, that's the thing. It's not, um, a movie by Vice. It's, uh, it just, they lent their, you know, logo to like, these fictional characters who are playing Vice reporters. Yeah. Uh, so that's really interesting. But then they also kind of, you know, they become wrapped up in what's going on with this cult and it turns out, you know, nothing is what it seems. And uh, one of the problems I had watching the movie is I know a lot about what happened at Jonestown and the film is so similar to what happened at Jonestown that it kind of complicated things for me. But in the end, I really liked the movie because I liked how it sort of questioned the ethics of that kind of journalism. Mm -hmm. Mm. So yeah, I really, really liked it. Uh, I would recommend it. That's cool. Did anyone else see a movie? I saw Paranormal Activity 4. Is that the Spanish? Starring 
Sorry. No, that's that's the fifth not numbered <laughs> offshoot one. Um, Paranormal Activity Four stars the, the Microsoft Connect. Okay. Yes. <laughs> What? Um, it's got the ghost vision and the oh the 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 dumbest thing about that is I actually think that's a really cool idea. Yeah. Um It's effective in that movie. If I Paranormal Activity is a weird franchise in that each movie I think is demonstrably less scary than the last one. But I also think that its lore and story gets way more interesting the more wrinkles they put into it. Um, because the third one introduces this idea of like witches and like a coven. And then the fourth movie like elaborates and expands on that to be this big group, uh, that are all witches and uh, like almost in that they're recruiting people and like their ranks are expanding. And when put in the context of the first two movies are very much about like new motherhood and the idea of like, young people establishing a family life. I think the overarching theme of this series seems to be this sense of tension between like suburban upper middle class family life and this like other old world style community, deep magic folk wisdom version that is seen as like the evil unknowable in a way that is, uh, you know, probably, uh, you could unpack it in all sorts of terrible ways, but I think those tensions are definitely there. It's the same thing that, uh, Rosemary's Baby plays with a lot. It just contained within one film in that instance where the horror is this idea of motherhood as a, uh, and like the issues and awareness around motherhood as like a folk wisdom and social pressure versus modern, like modernity and, like uh high science and going to doctors and lamas and stuff and i think this is a more modern take on that and that's what i really like about these movies even though they're like really not about that they're just in the framework but i think the theme is there the more i watch them that's my take on paranormal activity as like a critique hot take yes how how is like foreign like compared to the other ones then like um because if they get less scary does it mean that the but more interesting like, they're only interesting in the framework of thinking about the entire series critically. Okay. Um, the thing I they're like about 4 is that it has it has teenagers that act and feel like real teenagers, and I really appreciate that. Uh, because rad. for my birthday, uh, me and Destiny went to see Ouija, which has a bunch of teenagers that are probably about 28. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine in, like, a kitschy old, old movies had teenagers that weren't really teenagers away, but I like... That our protagonist is like a, a like a sixteen seventeen year old girl who feels like a sixteen and seventeen year old girl, and I don't think you get that a lot in horror. I remember seeing the trailers for that and thinking, "Oh, those are some kids. They're yeah. kids in this movie." Yeah, but yeah. I don't think horror movies actually have kids being kids much or well. And I think that movie did it really well. Yeah, no. When when a movie is like has a character who's meant to be sixteen seventeen, either they'll be played by someone really old or written like like a twenty year old or something. Mm-hmm. They miss out the actual childish nature of teenageness, and I think that's just a shame. Were you going to say Disney? Oh, I was going to say that. Um, that's a franchise that I find. I, I I find with each release, they're more and more like similar in formula, and yet they all work really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because just the initial premise is. Let's just film this house and weird things happening and no one believes. Only one person knows that this is happening and no one else believes them. And then, like, in the last third, everything goes to hell. And I don't know. For some reason, that all works 
really effectively. It's still quite spooky, even though the films don't really change that much. Aside from, like, the mythology, that stuff gets deeper and deeper. Um, and then the the cameras change a lot. Like, we had a lot of weird connect filming happening here. And um, webcams featured a big part in this when they didn't in the other movies. And I don't know. I, I always think that's really interesting. I don't, I, I don't know why those films work as well as they do. But I'll probably watch that offshoot one real soon and watch whatever comes next as well. I kind of want to see the marked ones because I think it'll be interesting to see how uh, kind of socioeconomic background changes um, the narrative trajectory, even though I haven't seen anything past the first one. Oh, the fourth one already sets that up because they have a, what is it, like their grandma, their nanny, their aunt, something? Um, Destiny? Like I think it was it was the made in the... Yeah, third film? in the third film, but there was also the woman in the fourth film who was vaguely ethnic in like, uh, oh, she's clearly like religious and probably Hispanic in some way, like aunt or grandma or something, even See, though those kids are I'm, white as snow. I'm getting <laughs> confused with Ouija because they had Ouija had a similar. Oh, right. Thing. You're right. No, that's totally that totally was Ouija. You're right. Oh, OK, the so- uh, magical ethnic characters in these movies all blend together at some point. <laughs> yeah, the th- yeah. The uh, third one introduced uh like a Hispanic like nanny or whatever. Yeah, there was a Hispanic um uh no, she was their maid. Yeah, she was their maid, right. And she was afraid of what was going on. But then they and also went I, to her as like the lady in poltergeist, like come and help us. You know, you know yeah, all the spiritual yeah. stuff. Look, she had the magic. She knew of the magic or whatever, how to deal with the ghosts. So that kind of offshoot has already been set up because the like curse or demon or whatever seems to kind of expand to whoever it touches. Mm-hmm. The next film in the Paranormal Activity franchise is called The Ghost Dimension. That sounds so... amazing. I bet, it will not, I bet it will not pay off that title, but that sounds amazing to me. <laughs> the film will follow supernatural occurrences that take place in a newly moved family's home. The family consists of four members, including Ryan, a game developer, Ryan's wife, Emily, a housewife described as more serious than her young husband, uh, their six-year-old daughter, and Ryan's younger brother. Think we're going to get a haunted okay. video game? I, I think hope we might so. Get a, I think we might get a haunted video game. Transmedia, what up? Mozart's Ghost. It's not a video game, but it's only <laughs> it the second be. time the net has come up today. There is the an end game planned, by the way, okay. for these paranormal activities. Good. Uh, High five for both being on the same Wikipedia page. Oh, yeah. I had That's to. I had to look. You had to know. I had to. Please tell I, I me like what... this franchise. Please tell me what Ouija is. Because I, I mean, I know what the film conceptually is, but what it, what is it? I'm, this is so, just for me now. Ouija was, is a, a Hasbro? Parker Brothers? Which one, Destiny? Yeah. Hasbro owns the yes. Ouija. Uh, it used to be Parker Brothers. Board game. And I think it was licensed the same time Battleship was to turn into a movie. Uh, there it, was like a bunch of them. Yes. Uh, they're still working on Candyland, if I remember correctly. Um, oh, God. I, I need another Clue movie that's not going to It won't be as good. Original. Don't ask for that. You're just going to be disappointed. <laughs> Um, I've already got right, a perfect right. clue movie, Kyle. So Ouija is interesting in that it's a it 
it's about a girl who uses this Ouija board by herself, even though you're not supposed to do that, and ends up communing <gasps> with a ghost, and uh, she kills herself, and it's her friends like trying to investigate what, what might have happened, and they don't believe that she would kill herself, and so they use the Ouija board, but they connect with this spirit, and blah, blah, blah. The thing that is interesting about it, in terms of someone who grew up watching a lot of horror movies, is it feels very mid-90s pre-Scream, in terms of how like almost like charmingly lame the whole thing is <laughs> yeah like it's not particularly scary and it doesn't do anything new under the sun but it's too old to be high schooler teenagers and their pg-13 an- antics and like some of the scares and the the p- twist that you see coming a mile away and it ends up being like oh the two sisters have to band together to stop this evil magic it just seems uh almost like goofy in its earnestness and i really appreciate that because i'm tired of post-scream like self-aware cynical horror movies like those don't interest me very much like this is this is almost close to like in the same way that i thought uh what was that like weird um it wasn't Guillermo del Toro. He might have produced it that like like little that gremlins movie with the little guys do you remember what i'm talking about no, came out a couple years no. ago with the the guys. Oh, he's been attached little... to too many things. I'm sorry, I will not be able to know this without looking it up, and I, it's outside the scope of this thing. Um, God, but you said you like it felt as formulaic as a warm blanket. Yeah, like there was a weird comfort in the. Also, it had no gratuitous like dumb sex or really? unnecessarily like. Yeah crass stuff happening it was it's a really clean cut teen horror film uh but it's i what i didn't like about it was that it um it i find the ouija board this really creepy item that has a lot of like cool mystery and history attached to it and the movie doesn't capture any of that at all um the thing that i would say is i think it's really close closer to like a really dark fairy tale almost than a horror movie um because it deals so much with this idea of magic and how these characters like relate to it uh and uh, like it's it's spooky but it's not horror at all and i i kind of like those kind of movies even if they're not exceptional by you know normal definitions i i I wish there were more movies like this and there used to be a lot and they don't really make them anymore i feel like it's not a good movie but i enjoyed it is basically where it falls down to. That's how I feel about nice. Birdman. I'm excited to see Birdman. Has, is that what you saw, Kyle? Oh, no, that is not. Well, I mean, I saw it a while that ago. That was not but... a sweet seg. No, oh. I'm sorry. I'm the worst. My only comment on Birdman is that it's a movie that I like, but I don't think it's very good. Uh, what did you see? I saw Mommy. I saw the new Xavier Dolan film, which I have been waiting my life for. Not not quite, but um, I, v- I was very excited to see this one because I'm a big fan of Dolan's work. And I, I have really weird feelings about it that are, like, I guess you could say mixed. Because if... Um, being f- very familiar with his past work, so I Killed My Mother, Heartbeats... Um, Lawrence Anyways and Tom at the Farm, I, I have gotten very well acquainted with what he uses in terms of trying to make a film interesting. So I know the, the tricks that he has up his sleeve. And 
watching this fifth film, I was expected to be surprised in some way, either formally or emotionally, and for two hours... It's a two-and-a-half-hour film, but for two hours, I was not particularly surprised. I actually found it fairly conventional for him. Like, a very, I found it to be a very conventional melodrama um, that's that's strong, but, like, very imperfect and very flawed. And then there's something that happens, like... Um, there's something that happens around um, two hours, uh, the two hours uh, where it actually makes me reconsider the events that unfolded prior. It's a strange film for me, though, because I... Um, it, like I told my mother, it very much mirrors the relationship I have with my own mother. So it's kind of weird. Um, and I have trouble kind of distancing myself from that subject matter. Um, and mm-hmm. I try to view it as objectively as possible or as, as one can. I'm hesitant to even say that I, that I really, really like the film. And I'd give it a solid B+, but to use that kind of language would mean that I would have to confront things about myself that I don't really like. I don't think you have to view it objectively. You're under no obligation to do so. If it if it hits on things in your personal life, that's what it does. That's what art does. Like, it's not a problem. Mm. It doesn't make affect anything. In fact, if you have to like remove yourself from your reactions to a movie, then that's in order to like say what you think of it. That's not valuable. Uh, I don't, I don't find value in assuming what the hypothetical person who has no hang-ups will think of a movie. Everyone brings their own stuff into everything. That's why different people like different things. Uh-huh. That's just me getting annoyed with reviews in general, because I do that. <laughs> um, Before we go to your movie, Jackson, I wanted to say the movie I, I couldn't think of was uh, the Guillermo del Toro co-written and produced Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Yes. Yeah, I had it off on Wikipedia as well. Okay. <laughs> Which was a movie that they sold as a horror movie, even though it's just a dark fantasy movie, and I really liked it for the same reasons. Uh, nice. it, that's a better movie than Ouija, don't get me wrong. Ouija's a dumb mm-hmm. film, but I uh, I found it charming. How many different headlines have been written which say Ouija bored, but bored is spelt like boring? Probably too many. <laughs> they have had the spelling of S-H-I-T-T-Y. <laughs> I've seen that at least four different times. Wait, what? They have. Sh- I don't like, get it. Like if you were to move the the planchette around the Ouija board to spell shitty. No, like again, that doesn't seem funny enough. No, it's not funny. Hey, <laughs> guess what? Works in print. Guess what? Film critics aren't comedians. Go figure. I googled Ouija board with like a um, you know quotes around it, not featured on one page. Well, maybe I should write this then. <laughs> How of what of. Mommy was Look. really good, so that's that's my <laughs> two cents. Uh-huh. That's good to hear. Because according to your Twitter feed, it's been the only movie you've been thinking about for about six months. Thank you. It is. It has been. Nah. Since it came out, Ken, I was very excited. Because I watched the trailer several times and I cried. And then I cried during the movie. It's fair. Jackson, what did you watch? Sorry, you threw me off with the thing. That's all right. <laughs> uh, I watched Nightcrawler, the Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, Ooh. Um, what's his... The other Gilroy. Dan. If you guys want to talk explicitly Dan about Gilroy. it, me and Destiny will just go away for a couple minutes. I haven't seen it. All I right. want to. Okay, then... Okay, no spoilers. No spoilers. I don't even think you can spoil that movie. I don't know. It, in a good way. Like, there's no. It's not a twisty movie. It's not a... Thriller. I mean, it is a thriller, but not in a traditional what's going to happen to these people sense the tensions way more. 
I, I really think that movie's tense. Okay. Because it, it is. It's directed to be like this seedy uh, thriller where things escalate and bad things happen. You find out things and there are reveals. But th- the way it's portrayed and everything about it is basically a more pointed anti-capitalist film than Wolf of Wall Street, which is impressive in its own right. Because... Everything about Jake Gyllenhaal's uh, character is like he is the ethics of a Silicon Valley help book come to life. Actually, it's about ethics uh, and game journalism. No! <laughs> oh! Shutting this down! <laughs> hate you. <laughs> but no, it, it's, it's a film that everything is built around this one theme of examining how... Uh, what would be the perfect human being under a, a capitalist system? And it's Jake Gyllenhaal, and he's a monster. Uh, and the things he does are monstrous. And the, his journey is terrifying, but inevitable because uh, there's no other way, no other person would succeed in the roles that he's given. I'm trying to talk about it without spoilers, but my, the thing I like most about it is how uh, it's not really a critique of like ex- the exploitation of news media. Like That's just a venue for it to examine capitalism and the systems that allow people or encourage people to behave in the way that they do. It is very aware of like the reasons and factors behind why things are the way they are, rather than just a surface-level critique of this thing is bad. So, I really like Nightcrawler. Okay, you should, I, I'm you seeing it next it. weekend. So yeah, you're gonna like I'm it. Excited. Well, you're gonna like it, but also it'll make you have a panic attack. Okay. So. Oh no. Why will it? Well, it did did for me. I walked out and I was like, oh. I'm glad that I'm forewarned. Yeah, thanks for the warning. <laughs> I really want to see it. Yeah, you'll enjoy it. You'll all enjoy the movie. So that that's how we're doing. That's catch up. Is it time? Uh, is plug it time zone. To go I, in? You can find me no. at. <laughs> <laughs> giving up on podcasts. Well, it's bound to happen sooner or later. <laughs> You've been surprisingly non-belligerent so far in the podcast. I don't have so to be belligerent to make you upset. <laughs> no, I'm saying that was the first your first entry. Oh sure. You're bringing it, bringing it in. So this month for the movie club, uh, it was match choice. What movie did you choose? What movie did you tell us all to go down and watch? I uh, picked Celine and Julie Go Boating, which is a uh, film by Jacques Rivette from uh, 1974. I picked this one kind of out of a hat. I wanted something foreign and old because we hadn't been doing that in our club so far. So I basically just searched obscure foreign movies on the internet until I found something that looked interesting to me. Uh, and this was the one I hit upon. Um did not realize it was over three hours when I picked it, but that's okay. Um, Selene and Julie Go Boating is a story of uh, two women, uh, Selene and Julie, as you might expect. And uh, Julie is a librarian who's just hanging out in a park reading a witchcraft book one day. And she sees Selene walk by, um, who looks bohemian and interesting in a way that Julie is kind of stuffy and uh, like... I use the term closeted, divorced from its current incarnation, but she seems like a person who kind of stuffs everything inside of herself. And Celine seems the opposite of that. And these two go on kind of this uh, surrealist chase through Paris, not in terms of 
what they encounter, but in terms of like the emotions and the beats, because they meet each other and then they drift apart and then they come back together and suddenly Celine's living with her in no real explained way. And then the film spends the uh, next two hours investigating a ghost story murder mystery uh, in this uh, house that uh, Celine claims that he used to, she used to work in. But when you go inside this house at a certain time, you get transported into the past where these ghosts are living out this melodrama and this girl ends up dead at the end of it and they want to find out who killed her. And so they both start going into this house to relive these memories. And it's a grand old time. Uh, that barely covers the stuff in this movie, I feel like, but that's the basic plot. Anyone? Someone? Save me. Who's who's going to go with their initial thoughts? I'll go first, if no one else is volunteering. I love this movie. <laughs> Thought it was great. Uh, the beginning... Like, or I guess one of the things I didn't expect... I didn't know anything about this movie going in, so I guess it's a weird thing to preface with, but I did not expect to find the movie as funny as it ended up being. It was super hilarious just the sort of um like i like how both julie and celine get wrapped up in this really serious thing they want to solve this murder but the way that they sort of interact with it and the way that they uh even observe it turns out like they treat it like it's a tv show and uh i like how they sort of it almost feels like a What's like a screwball comedy mm-hmm. in the way that they engage with it, and I really enjoyed that. And also, like when they do their little identity flips, there's no real consequences to it, even though in real life these would be really serious things. Like, uh, Julie ends up. Oh, I'm getting Julie and Celine. Julie was the one. Julie's the, the one with the red hair. Yeah. Okay, so like Julie Wait. ends up. Yes. Am yes. I right? Okay. Yes. Okay, so Julie ends up doing this, like, really important cabaret audition for Celine and, like, screws it all up, and it doesn't really affect anything, and then, uh, Celine finds herself, uh, turning down a proposal that was meant for Julie, and for the- and she, like, humiliates the like the guy that uh proposes and i don't know like in any other movie that this would be like the center of the film and like the consequences of that would be the plot but in this movie it's just this little like side story thing that happens and then the movie decides to run with this ghost story that feels like a soap opera that's also really funny even though it centers around you know this really horrible murder uh, so, so I found that all really surprising and fun. Um, I also really like this movie. Uh, the thing that struck me is this feels like the French New Wave version of a Czech New Wave movie. Uh, uh specifically, I think of Daisies. Daisies. I was I thinking think the this. same thing. Uh, oh yeah, totally. In the this like female friendship and the kind of like very coded feminine things around it, like these performances and magic and like, like they're doing tarot and stuff. And these are things I feel like society is coded as like feminine mystique kind of stuff. Um, Girl slumber parties. Yeah, that too also, but it creates this anarchic energy that subverts the entire structure of the world around them. And I think that's a thing both these movies celebrate and show as like a really vital, important thing. And it feels really, uh, 
core to the film that this this friendship uh can just exist and be what it is in all of the contexts of oh going to jobs and the like julie has this betrothed and that gets kind of just brushed aside because they don't really care because it's not that important it's not as important as them and their jobs kind of go by the wayside and uh their friendships and even this murder mystery which is maybe spooky or maybe dangerous they just tackle as another adventure that they can go on together and that's the thing i think is uh really great like this movie is explicitly about magic but the magic that's implied through their friendship i think is even and more important and evident in every scene and that's friendship the thing is magic. yeah got it <laughs> friendship is magic yeah <laughs> what did carl think i didn't particularly care for it um i don't think it's bad by any means it just i wasn't particularly thrilled um like I am agreeing with everything that's being said. Um, I thought I also thought of daisies. I just thought it was like a less interesting daisies to me because it took so. For me, it took a very long time for it to convey um, its points about friendship and um, the authorship stuff within the ghost story, which I think is fun. I just didn't find its execution very interesting. It almost felt very amateurish to me, but in a less fun way. Um, yeah, that's really it. Like, I think it's like wor- certainly worthy of merit and worthy of, of um, examining. Um, I was. Pre- what did you find amateurish about it? <clears throat> it may be more of a. Um, den- uh, it may be a, a denotation of the style um, that Rivette was shooting in, but it felt like. Kind of like the Mickey Rooney let's make a movie thing where everyone was kind of, um, lackadaisical and, um, free flowing, but without any kind of seriousness or commitment to what was going on. And I get, I mean, I, I think, think that's, that I think that's inherent that's to the themes. Thing. That's a seventies thing too. But I also think that that's thematically what it's about. Like these characters are characters that exist in a space where all like structure and cohesion in like the typical way society dictates it is broken down. And I get that. I just didn't particularly care for it. That's um that's about it. I mean, I don't have any like concrete criticism against the film. I just didn't love it. Um I the also the 3 hour thing it kind of did me in because I felt it I get given the uh free flowing um uh anarchical style um that to maybe go against um a a slightly more compact uh, version of this it might may have been its point but i probably would have preferred a more um i guess concise version well i i think its points are kind of like tonal the whole point of the film is to spend as much time as possible in this friendship which is the same aim as the characters right Mm -hmm. yeah so i get i get that but if if the film doesn't click with you, like the film didn't click with me, but for like really personal reasons that I don't, know, I don't even want to. My I don't want to talk about. Uh, I'm going to be leaving most of this to you guys because my stuff is it interacts with my personal life in a really uh, non interesting way. Uh, but if it doesn't click, then you're just spending three hours with this tone that isn't inclusive. Yeah. Because if if it does hit you, then you're in the movie and it flies by. Right. If it doesn't, then the movie didn't even try to like one of the, and someone, you. One of the reasons of it's. 
One of the Maga first, then Kyle. Okay. Okay. Uh, so much of the like vastness of its space is spent giving you this experience of the discovery. Like these characters spend so much time in their dumb ghost story that they start to learn all the lines, and that's a key plot point that they have to like reenact all the lines. But it also allows you, the viewer, to see all these events over and over again. So the point where you're learning the lines, and you're like every time that woman faints as she comes down the stairs and goes into the dining room, like I <laughs> laughed because it's hilarious that she just like screams and falls over, and, and you never know what she's fainting at yeah. until you realize she has like a weird thing about flowers and oh go on yeah the the way it frames this discovery like it's these characters watching this thing so often that they get in joke like they have their own in jokes about it and then you're let in on that experience of here's this thing that we get to also be in on and we get their in jokes and we understand that we like we take the same journey they take and that's not a thing you can compact like that's a very uh intimate space that has to be cultivated and developed. And I don't think it's the kind of thing that a movie like this has to be expansive to include. All right. All right. Um, I like the comparison you made to Daisies. I think Daisies is a, is a really lovely, really excellent film. But I like it because it's very fast-paced and mm-hmm. um, unforgiving, I guess, because it just kind of um, visually and, and um, in a sensual sense kind of assaults you doesn't uh, stop for your benefit but this just spends so much time um i guess trying to get you to invest in this friendship for a really really long time that i just kind of stopped caring i disagree that it spends long time trying to get you invested it just presents it Uh, well well, that's what i meant yeah you can tell when a movie is like actively uh, putting the hard work into building up a thing that it doesn't need to do, whereas this is just allowing these characters to exist. And in together. fact, the movie uh, like takes tangents that undermine a lot of their relationship on purpose to show yeah. that like this is a, a thing that is weird and uncomfortable, but like you feel the realness of it. Like her, the uh, Julie or Celine's luncheon with her friends, where she's just talking about. Uh, Julie is like this American that she knows, the pool and everything. And like, it's clear they're just full of lies and her friends aren't buying it and think it's weird that she's hanging out with this new girl and not them. But then Julie comes along and plays along with all of it. And like, it like says all the things that Celine did. And so you get the sense of like, these characters are aware of each other in this really intimate way, even in short acquaintance. And it's meant to be jarring and it, discomforting especially early on and become a thing that you just end up being dragged along with because they're both being dragged along by it themselves and then i also like the implication that the thing that we are watching is in a sense our weird ghost story because of like the fact that the ending kind of flips the script as far as like uh Celine is the one who picks up Julie's dropped book and then she's chasing her around. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it almost gives the sense of like, this is an unending thing for us to get to know mm-hmm. that we know. And I, I don't know. I found all of that really fun. Like getting, uh, like when it started, uh, it, it almost felt like a cartoon. And then all those like little cuts to that title card and the next morning. So you get a sense like, it's almost like episodic, but it clearly, like, I don't know, it just fed into that whole soap opera, 
sitcom kind of vibe of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, like, the resolution is almost irrelevant to both them and us. Like, they solve the mystery, but then the next day it resets to just another adventure in the same vein, because these characters are, like, their friendship is based on a, a an inalterable thing, like, just this attraction that exists between the two of them and how they're brought together. And it doesn't matter the framing device, like, it's not about growing or about, like, coming to some great discovery or saving the girl, even though, like, in theory, like, they do that. It's about hey, we like hanging out together, this is what it is, and you're taken along into the space that is what it is, and when it's over, they just hit the reset button because the point is to exist in that space, not to like achieve any sort of goal. I get that. I just didn't think it was... the Its execution wasn't fun for me. I just didn't have a good time in do that you, space. Do you think that had anything to do with the fact that... Uh, and I mean, you can't watch it on our own, and I know you two watched it together... Oh, I think it has a lot to do with that because we yeah. were we as ourselves like had the experience of two people who are like very much friends and very much on the same wavelength, like exploring the space together and laughing at it and poking at it at the same time. Like this is a communal movie. It's about uh, like these two people, and it's meant to be shared with people who are of like minds and temperaments. I think you think yeah. so. I absolutely well, to, think so. I think I didn't the, think about the, it that far to be honest. To, to me, the movie was, like, I only think... about movies or, like, stories as this joining experience and this communal thing that you can share in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, the way, you know, you talk, it's about this friendship and about this story and about how integral they are to each other uh, and how th- just those things that can be explored. So, as someone who, um, you know, this is, like, this is the poem stuff, but, like, all my life at the moment, stuff's not good. I'm in a really dark place and, like, trend, like my house is... Anyway, watching that film when you're in a bad place and you're really like alone, just on your own for three hours, it, it's a very hard movie to watch for that. Amount yeah, of time. I think I, I uh, felt the same thing because um, I don't entirely because like I know that I like it more because I saw Destiny, but I don't think I would dislike it if I saw it by myself because it like the things it's about are things that interest me and appeal to me. Like it shares a lot of my sense of play and of identity and of friendship. And also, like, as a feminist, like, just watching a movie about two women that didn't have anything to do with what uh, current mm-hmm. movies about women are about, like, that it was just the total opposite of what you expect from a movie about uh, a friendship between women, like, that was super refreshing, and I think that would have meant a lot to me as I had I watched it alone, because, like, I watched Daisy alone and had the same sort of reaction to it, just this joy... I didn't feel that joy here, and uh, I think an, I didn't feel any kind of warmth or uh, invitation or welcoming. Um, I don't think it needs to invite I, and, you. I don't think... And I didn't feel that invitation, whereas something like Daisy's or even Francis Ha, which I've seen far too many times, I feel that warmth and an invitation, and it feels like a warm blanket where I can watch But Francis Ha is not about a friendship that you are, like looking in on francis haas about a person like a singular journey that you are like being taken on along with but her. i think part of it is looking into that friendship absolutely not i disagree i totally I disagree like if the friendship were more in like to me that movie's about the evolution of a friendship 
the fact that like one person's still kind of stuck in a place while the other friend is moving on. So I don't really see it as a look in on movie, but it also connects to like personal stuff going on with me. But yeah, but so, like also Francis Ha is a movie about the destination. Like you see her problems, you see her like tackle them and you see their resolution and you see them grow but as my people point over is, the course of the film. My point is the tone. In what way? It, it's, it is very warm and inviting. It doesn't feel... Um, I'm having trouble articulating exactly what I mean. Like, I just don't understand in what way, like, a movie like this is not, like, warm and inviting. I, I don't know. I can't answer that for you, I guess. Because I, I thought, like, the opening, the way it leads you into the friendship is super warm. That entire first hilarious chase is the best. I guess yeah, it's, and then, it's just like, me then. I guess it's just me. You get the sense, like, she, she puts her name down as magician, and because of, like, uh, Julie reading the book and everything, you get the sense that, oh, maybe she does, like, maybe she is, like, this weird, like, fairy magic sprite woman. magician, and she's actually yeah. just the worst stage magician ever doing dumb burlesque magic. And, like, the jokes and the, like, undermining of these characters that it does, I think, is really uh, inviting and welcoming. Like, it's it gives you this space to see these people at their best and their worst at all times. Like, it also, feels very honest. you don't really know what's going on. Like, you don't know right away that it's surreal. You don't know right away that it's going to be magical. And even... So the- you kind of have to keep going to, like figure out you're like what why what's going on with them you know and even the ways in which it's surreal are really understated like this is much closer to magical realism than an actual surreal thing that's true i just meant as far as like oh, sure when the movie starts you have no idea if uh because like when when it started i thought perhaps like oh celine just stole from this store because she's covered in all this stuff and i thought it was going to be uh julie sort of helping her with her problems because you like you get this vibe that like Celine is really troubled and Julie's like the stable one so I thought it was going sort of like um desperately seeking Susan was a movie that kept coming up for me as I don't know if you guys have seen that no but yeah it's the the old Madonna movie with uh Rosanna Arquette where you've got the magician's assistant and uh the sort of clean cut uh yuppie woman who gets mixed up in this mistaken identity where she becomes sort of this accidental new waiver and i thought it was going to be more like that and those movies are really similar believe it or not uh but one is obviously way more conventional than the other destiny i have a question Um, for you yes what what made you use the word screwball because i did not have any impression of screwball comedy here it was just really silly like there's a lot of um like the they're singing and a lot of just sort of goofiness between the two like everything was so playful maybe that's just me i don't know i felt like everything like every little direction this film went into uh even with the murder mystery part everything about it had a vibe of just silliness and humor maybe screwball isn't the right no i think definitely is like even like the basically the climax of the film where they rush in and they're both trying to play the scene to get the girl out is this whole giant sequence of people trying to remember their lines and rushing from place to place and like getting there just in time and all the interactions that they get right or don't get right and all the underselling by the ghosts who just kind of drift in and out of the room but can't <laughs> see both women and so they both like freeze in place as the guy comes in and like stands by the fireplace. Oh, that bit's pretty good. And it it's 
in the same way that it's like Clue, which we brought up earlier, like it has this chaotic energy of these two characters just like trying to piece all of this together but in the most inept way but yeah, they're it's both ce- goofballs yeah it both- celebrates how like charming and real that feels and like it's like oh these are characters like this is how i would be if i tried to solve a ghost story just like they've got their dumb chance and their eyeball rings to ward them against yeah, evil they, they have those little puns and they're like childlike uh uh cheering of each other <laughs> yeah that stuff to me feels very screwball yeah, I thought it was pretty screwable. It reminded me of being a kid. Yep, that's why <laughs> that's why I reacted badly to it because <laughs> the whole the whole thing has this really youthful optimism and just joy. The when you're the no no da da da. I'm not going into like cynical, but like when you're suffering from like dealing with depression, the the accessibility it seems so accessible and easy and to be in a place where that kind of thing is not watching a movie like that is a hard thing to do i completely understand that it makes me sad that like it wasn't uh, an uh, an escape for you like I, I would have loved for you to have watched it and gone like oh you know for three hours i you know i had something to smile <laughs> oh, at, as opposed past- to something no. that would make you feel worse like that i'm long past me. the point where that stuff was an escape I know it just it makes me sad. That's all I had to say. like. That's all I have to say about that. I know you're going through a lot, but I, I'm sad that it wasn't the sort of because like I know like as someone who also sort of deals with depression, it, it's just like sometimes a funny movie with a weird situation will kind of take me out of my own head for a little bit. I mean, so. sh- sure, sometimes it will, but I also think this movie is very explicitly about um, the, where you, the kind of person you are, or who you're with when watching a story impacts your enjoyment of a story. Like, it is about my reaction to it in a strange way. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, even though mine was the opposite. Like, so it would d- directly engage with those themes and made me cognizant of them. Uh, which, I, I don't think makes the movie bad. Like, I think it's a cool movie. I just understand why it didn't connect with me. Uh, maybe we'll wonder. Maybe I'll revisit it in ten years when everything's great. And it'll be delightful. Not a bad idea. But that that's that's, yeah... Because you, you two had the perfect experience in terms of, like, how to watch this movie, I feel. Um, unintentionally, but sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think watching any movie with, like, someone who you're simpatico with is better than watching it by yourself. Yeah. I agree. I, what what are you going with that, Kyle? What does that uh mean? Yeah. I, I don't usually get to do that. I mean, I don't get to do that either. Ever so, <laughs> as someone who who's watched a lot of movies by themselves and with people who are like willing to and open minded and enjoy movies the same way you do, like always go with watching it with people. Why wouldn't you? It's a communal experience. I've that actually, I can't think of anything in life that is not better experience with people you're simpatico with. I say to a group of four, like three other people that I am simpatico with, talking about film because we both love, we all love movies. Well, exactly. <laughs> but to find those... That, that's a hard thing to find. Sure. But, I mean, that's what this podcast is. Sure, it definitely is. I I don't think this... this 
this podcast is talking about. I don't think this podcast is like it's a different thing discussing something and a different thing experiencing. I don't. As I disagree. Experiment. We should all just stream a movie on Skype together someday <laughs> and just see That's... how it affects our. Uh, That'll be an interesting experiment, but I think being in the same space and doing a communal thing is so important to how. Uh, those things are received. Mm. I know what you're getting at. I think that's totally... I, I think that's a fair thing to it's say. It's a fair yeah, thing, I but I don't think that there will... I, I think that you can still have a unique experience, even if it is kind of streaming over Skype, because... There is... As the per, as the one person in the other continent, let me tell you <laughs> that there is a value to sharing a space with other people that oh there sure that no, but i don't think i don't think isn't. doing it the other way is without value yeah no i don't I, I didn't say that yeah no yeah. i said that i think the other thing is with value but yeah we've to continue down this thought in like a different way like i don't know where i'm going with this but what movies have you watched like any of you that you feel have been most either enhanced or necessarily like, linked to the experience when you watched them because oh, there are I some movies ton. that I feel are just things that I watch and can't remember how, but some that are entirely about the space, place, time, and who. And I wanted to just ask about that stuff. I find that comedies are much better with people. I mean, not even just for the obvious, like, we can all laugh at this thing together, but I'll sort of get a new perspective when I can look at sort of how other people react to it. Um, mm-hmm. like for instance, I don't think I would have enjoyed Hot Fuzz as much if I hadn't watched it in the situation I watched it in. Like I was with really close friends and we had food and it was just sort of a hangout situation. And if I had just like rented that and watched it in my room alone, I don't think I would have left. La- I don't think I would have left out loud as much. I don't know. There are other comedies I feel differently about. Like I've watched, I think I watched Shaun of the Dead alone. And still enjoyed it just as much, but I don't know. It's a different experience. Yeah, no, it is. It totally is. But I don't. I don't know. I don't know. What I'm trying to say, but yeah, it's totally <laughs> different. like my first experience watching uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show is one of these for me. It's maybe the only one I can think of. Um, this was at a time where I was much less uh, aware or comfortable or open about my uh, sexuality. And I was in college and my two, uh, like openly gay friends basically handed me the DVD and said they were going to dinner and they would expect a report when I got back. And I feel <laughs> like it was a really like eye opening, like reckoning with myself experience, even though that movie is the dumbest, most cheesecake thing in the world of just <laughs> like, Oh, like the way I respond to this is like a weird, uncomfortable thing that just brings up all the weird, uncomfortable things about myself. Yeah, uh, I had a, and that like was a really important thing for me. I, I guess I don't give Rocky Horror enough credit in terms of helping me solidify my identity. But a very similar thing happened my sophomore year of high school. My friend and um, one of my close friends invited me over to watch it with her and her mother, and that was that was interesting. But I first saw it when I was six. <laughs> it changed everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, I think the two that I think of are The Cabin in the Woods, um, which I saw with my mother. It's not that I saw it with my mother that made it interesting. It's just like being in an audience, seeing The Cabin in the Woods and, um, watching everyone get a kick out of the elevator scene. That was a lot of 
that's very interesting. I think that's very, a very important communal um, experience. That that particular scene is really um, hilarious. And if you're with a group of people who get why it's funny and why that film is um, interesting, at least, um, I think that is very beneficial. And then her, because I was with my friend um, Leah. She and I went to New York to see it. And she, at that point, was... Uh, kind of like on the cusp of being in a long distance relationship and I was in a long distance relationship and it was this kind of paradoxical experience where you were in a room that was packed but at the same time you felt very singular and isolated within that room but it, it mm-hmm. but it, um, it felt kind of warm anyways yeah uh to be going the opposite direction because of course i fucking knew um the i don't i didn't really have many uh like this movie was enhanced by watching it with a bunch of people because i didn't uh, i never had the right group people to watch movies with never really did that as a communal thing uh but the one i do remember was the time i went to see um the pirates the aardman film yeah what uh this is a very this is a specific personal one, uh, but like I love that movie. It's it was, a good movie. It was amazing, and I could and it was like um, I went with my girlfriend at the time, and it was the like the last time I saw her before we broke up, and what the the di- like the difference of way we were experiencing this movie was just like the solidification of how much we had become different people and drifted apart over time. And that's what the Pirates by Arman animation is to me. And which I, I will rewatch that again and love it because I know that's still a good movie. But that was one where I, I that got tangled up in a bunch of stuff about how we react to movies and using that as a strange personal thing. What movie? Arman, the Pirates. Uh, Pirates. I've never heard of this. Yeah, I've never heard of it either. <laughs> oh, it's great! You should go watch it. It's really good. It's really good. Uh, it's pretty delightful. Yeah, it's delight. It's a weird oh. movie to have like your uh, relationship wrapped around. Because <laughs> we came out of it, and um, like I could tell she didn't enjoy it. She was like, "Oh, that movie was terrible. How did anyone laugh at that?" And I'm like, "Oh, sorry." And then we broke up. It was nominated for an Academy Award. It's great. It's yeah, it's a delightful movie. I recommend it. You go, Disney. Disney, you were oh, saying? Sorry. Uh, when I was a teenager, I would go to Blockbuster just about every weekend and rent movies and. Uh, my mom and I would usually watch everything together, but then there was just this period when I hit like 13 or 14 where like, you know, she would become less and less interested in the stuff I picked out. And I just remember when I got into my Tarantino phase and rented Pulp Fiction all the time, like that was a movie she was always like, like that was the movie that marked, oh, we can't watch movies together anymore. (laughs) That's what your story reminded me of. (laughs) <laughs> yep, that's what I do. <laughs> I like that you rented Pulp Fiction a thousand times when you were a kid. I did. It was life changing. Spe- <laughs> Speaking of um, making someone watch a movie with you over Skype, I did that to one of my exes, and I made him watch Francis Ha with me. <laughs> I've done that. I've watched TV over Skype. I don't know if I've done it with film. Oh, Matt and I watched that Dario Argento's Dracula over Skype once. <laughs> That was actually really fun. Mm-hmm. 
You, that movie is garbage, for the record. Don't watch that nope. movie. No, I've, I've heard about it. I know. I think we should still do this. Like, I really believe, like, if sure. there's a night we're all home, mm-hmm. and, uh... It, I'm not sim- doing anything. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I really, I think we should try this. I think this is a worthwhile experiment. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. Sure, cool. I think it'll good. be a nightmare, but we'll give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> it will, but it'll be a nice nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather. I can't think of any other group I'd rather have a shared nightmare with. No, it'll be a new nightmare. Ah, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it to it, Kyle. Ah, uh, hate you. Good, good cool. show, everyone. Good show. good show. Good show. So what's who's next? Me. It's me. Okay, what are we doing? I guess. Well, we had two, but I guess I've chosen. Okay. Uh, well, next month we're going to be watching in the yes. Loop. Yes. Because <laughs> 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 we didn't tell Kyle, he was on tenterhooks this whole time. Uh, the other choice was State of Maine. But I really wanted to rewatch it. It wasn't available for DVD as easily. But in the Loop's on Netflix, so you can all go watch that. <laughs> that, was oh, that was a beautiful thing. <laughs> that, was, that was great. I love How it. many? Oh, hey, hey Kyle, you okay? <laughs> you having... Kyle's dead. We killed Kyle. He's dead. Um, He's long dead. live Kyle. Long long Kyle. I'll never forget the the days when he. Well, disliked a movie we all liked. Every time <laughs> we're gonna pour out a forty for Kyle. <laughs> I'm okay now. <laughs> Kyle likes In the Loop. Um. I don't know anything. I know vaguely what it's about, but that's it. Have you seen Same. the thick of it? No. No. Jackson, you don't need to. I've seen some of the thick of it. Okay. Like three episodes, not enough. And I kind of know how the fourth season ends. If I didn't know that, I would go and watch it, but. Yeah, uh, so In the Loop, Amanda Manucci film, fr- based on The Thick of It, British political comedy from 2008, I believe, and that's what we're going to be doing next month for Christmas, guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Christmas, Christmas. British political comedy. Merry Christmas, Merry- Nazi Julie Andrews. <laughs> can't, okay, we can't, because we'll start and that's wrong. We can't do that right now. <laughs> We can't just spout in the loop quotes. Liberated horse, horse cock. No, we can't. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> right, shutting this down. Hey, good Plug. podcast, everyone. Plug zones. I know that was going to take a sit. Oh, it wouldn't be a fucking podcast if you didn't remind me about the plug zone two seconds where I was about to naturally <laughs> seg us into the plug zone. I always Sorry, feel like you're Jackson. about to close the podcast, like end recording, and then I need to make sure. No, the, way, the way it goes is you finish a thing, then you bring it down, then you have the plugs, and then you go, okay, bye. It's a, I know what I'm doing. Do you? I don't think Matt trusts you. I don't. I need Matt to <laughs> calm down. I don't think he does either. Sometimes Matt- I'm just podcast dad. I can't help it. <laughs> No, oh, I love dad. podcast, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> I really well, like that f- Adam Carolla, son. <laughs> Ew. Yeah, I know, it's gross. Bye. That's so cool. The Nerdist, right? <laughs> <laughs> I like your dad laugh. It ain't cool news. <laughs> oh, ain't no, ain't it cool news. Christ, it ain't cool news. Yeah, that's what Dad would say. <laughs> that's like a Mad Magazine joke. <laughs> You found out all the latest news on It Ain't Cool News. Yep. 
heard about the latest uh, thing Kevin Smith speaking is of, doing. Speaking of dad influences on humor, Mad Magazine. <laughs> True, but, but just you just pulled out your dad card with that great reference. I like the way Kevin Smith's new movie is an onomatopoeia for how I think about Kevin Smith. What's his new movie? <laughs> Tusk. Oh, he's making Clerks 3 though, right? No, he made Tusk. Yeah, but... That was a funny joke. Okay, is it? I don't get it. Uh, I'm not going to explain it, because then it really won't be funny. Like, doubly. So you can find me at abnormalmapping.com <laughs> and on Twitter at litrock, L-A-T-R-O-C-K. Uh, video game stuff, mostly, but I do talk about movies sometimes. We we do. That's our podcast. He does cool Let's Plays on our YouTube channel. Go there. Yeah. Uh, Destiny. I can be found at FridgeBuzzNow <laughs> on Twitter. That is all one word, no underscores. Uh, I have a podcast called Badland Girls. You can find us at badlandgirls.com. We just did a Halloween episode. We're planning some stuff, some Twin Peaks stuff in the future. Maybe some, uh, I, I know we want to do a spirituality episode, which doesn't sound all that great, but it, usually we're a, we're a junk culture podcast, so it will be great. So, uh, you should check us out. We're on iTunes. That 50% of your podcast is militant atheism, so a spirituality cast seems hilarious to me. Oh, you'll see. Well, we're gonna we're gonna flip your wig, sir, dad. <laughs> or flip flip dad's wig. That show you like Christ. is coming back in style. <laughs> Kyle, where you are? Where are you? What's on the internet? Tell us, please. I ride around on the internet, and I am assistant editor at moviemezzanine dot com, and you can find my work at tile kerner t y l e k u r n e r dot tumblr dot com. You're, you're very proud when you came up with that. Yes, um, thank you. I'm <laughs> really creative. I'm a very creative person. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Tile Kerner. Yeah, that's it. I'm the devil. Cool. I'm Tylio002 on Twitter. Uh, you can find also on Abnormal Mapping. It's basically what I do. That's how you can find me. Where could you find this podcast? Trashbackedratio.com. If you want to email us any questions, please do at Trashbackedratio.com. Uh, at gmail.com. And we're on... I- oh, we're on iTunes, guys! Yay! <laughs> I had forgotten, but we are... Yeah, So people right. should... Subscribe, and rate, and review! Yes, thank you. Yes! Oh, oh, we didn't ask, what's your favorite scary movie for the Halloween thing? <gasps> oh, I wanted to talk about that! Can we talk about that? Sure. Alright, before we go, let's talk about favorite scary movies. Uh, should I go first, or does Kyle want to go first, since it was his question? Destiny wants to go first. I want to go first. <laughs> okay, my favorite scary movies. Um, I'll just name three off the top of my head. I really like, and I know you're all going to roll your eyes, um, I think the Friday the 13th franchise is great. Jason! I, I, <laughs> I don't care that they're formulaic. I don't care that they ripped off Halloween. I enjoy them. They bring me a nostalgic comfort. They're funny. They're gross. They're imperfect. They make no sense, but they're they're mine. And I they love go them. to space. <laughs> yep, they go to space. Uh, I also really like The Haunting, the 1961 with Julie Harris. I think that is kitschy and spooky in all the right places. And I also really, really like Haosu, the Japanese film about the house <laughs> you took mine all right someone oh we could talk about it i'll go next um if we're gonna if we each get to pick a franchise i will pick the phantasm films all four beautiful nonsense 
uh, movies that, uh, I've heard them described as the closest thing America's ever come to Giallo films, and I agree with that. Uh, That's great. That's really great. They are, uh, heady and feverish in just the right way. But in terms of actual scary movies, uh, my two are House of the Devil, which I assume everyone's seen at this point. But the, uh, middle third of that movie is to me the scariest thing I've ever seen in a film, in that it's, 30 minutes where absolutely nothing happens except she walks through a house and it's terrifying. And, um, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That is which really scary. Is totally a classic, but I think it's the closest you'll come to a perfect horror movie. Is it me next? Sure. This, is this the point where I say I try, I have avoided scary movies all my life and you can all shake your head at me? I I'm not shaking my judge. head, but that's that's I'm be, being afraid for fun wa- is not for everyone. I watched Kill List. That movie is terrifying. I didn't realize it was a horror movie going in, uh, or for the first hour. So even though it was clearly a horror movie from the start, um, that movie's terrifying. So I guess that counts. But now I've delivered. I will educate myself in scary movies eventually. But especially as someone who mostly watch movies on their own. No, thank you, scary movies. <laughs> I feel for you. I like scary. Mo- I like the scary movie four. <laughs> There's a fourth one. The fourth chapter of the fourth chapter of the trilogy. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's a fourth one. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle, tell me your answer. Um, uh, my three are Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which I think yeah is yeah a wonderfully brilliant kind of proto scream, but is in some ways better than Scream in terms of how it approaches certain ideas. Um, I also think it's just really quite scary, kind of having Freddy Krueger come into the real world. Um, yep. So that um, I love William Friedkin's Bug, which is with Ashley Judd and Michael Shannon, where Michael Shannon plays a, um, a person who is thinks bugs are under his skin and it's a government conspiracy Ooh. and he tells Ashley Judd who's this kind of um very <clears throat> um gullible young woman and that's that kind of claustrophobia is really terrifying and Antichrist well I just want to Antichrist even though it's like not my favorite film of his it is still one of my favorite scary movies because that it's incredibly visceral to me just having being in that headspace is really, really scary. And I watched it after a hangover. Actually, during a hangover, after I had been drunk the previous night in Boston. That was fun. Cool. Well, podcast done. Well done, everyone. Thank you. Hooray. Hooray.